This podcast is a ministry of Trinity Baptist Church in Jonesboro, Tennessee. Trinity Baptist Church exists to exalt God in worship, to equip disciples, and to evangelize the lost. For more information about our church, just visit our website at trinity3e.org. I want to invite you to take your copy of God's Word and please open it again to the New Testament book of Galatians. We started two weeks ago in a series working our way through this book where we were focusing on the freedom that we have in Christ. This morning, we are going to take a look at verses 6 through 9 as Paul really begins to explain the issues that have prompted the writing of this letter. So Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another gospel, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. May God be glorified in the reading and the hearing of his word this morning. I don't know if any of you have experienced the same frustration that I have experienced often. Maybe you're standing in your kitchen as I am trying to get whether it's a new bottle of Tylenol open or to get the milk open and I come to the safety seal and it just doesn't cooperate. I confess to you there have been times that I have opened the drawer in the kitchen that contains sundry and various things such as needle nose pliers and use those to puncture the safety seal and to peel it back. It's in those moments of frustration that I have to take a moment and remember why that safety seal is there. There was a time when those safety seals did not exist. But that changed in the fall of 1982. It was in September of that year when a series of mysterious deaths occurred in the Chicago area. The common denominator it was found was extra strength Tylenol. Someone had tainted bottles of extra strength Tylenol with the highly poisonous chemical of potassium cyanide. Sadly, the perpetrator of this act was never arrested. But it did prompt changes. Changes within not only the medical industry, but also goods that are sold where things were now packaged to prevent such tampering from happening again. You can see the obvious danger. To have opened one of those bottles, you would have never known that it was tainted with something that would kill you. Everything looked normal, but something had been added that was deadly. 
In a similar way, that's the very thing Paul is addressing in this letter to the churches at Galatia. He's dealing with these things on a spiritual level because there was a, a movement among the churches in Galatia where teachers were adding something to the gospel. And it was poisoning the churches. That was the very issue that prompted Paul to pen this letter. That's also what moved him to address this issue with such passion. This letter is unique because there's no thanksgiving for the church. There's no commendation. There's nothing that Paul points to the church and says, you're doing this well. In fact, you can see his shock in verse 6 where he says, I am astonished. I'm shocked. I'm in a state of disbelief. He says, I can't believe that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. I think the Spirit is leading Paul here to use language that to the Jews who had converted to Christianity would have been very familiar. This language harkens back to an event that took place in Exodus chapter 32. Moses had ascended to Mount Sinai and he was gone for some time, but he wasn't upon the mountain very long because, till out of fear the people pled with Aaron to create for them an idol that they could worship and look to in their fear. And that idol led to a pagan revelry that was nothing short of idolatrous that prompted Moses when he came down out of the mountain to react with anger. In the language that Paul uses in verse 6, he's basically saying, you churches of Galatia, you've acted in like manner. I've not been away from you very long and already you're leaving something. You're leaving the true gospel and turning to a different one. And in fact, Paul says in verse 7, he corrects it. He says, by adding to the gospel, you're not creating another gospel. There is no other gospel. But in adding something to the message of Jesus Christ crucified and resurrected in salvation by grace through faith. You're creating a monster. That is no gospel. And in doing so, you're actually turning away from God. Notice in verse 6, he says, you are deserting not the gospel, he says. Rather, you are deserting him, that is God, who has called you in the grace of Christ. By adding to the gospel, you're rejecting what God has given you. And in doing so, you are rejecting God. A rejection of the gospel is a rejection of God. Because it is God who calls us through the gospel. God is the originator of our gospel. The gospel begins and ends with God. It was God acting in Jesus to defeat the darkness and redeem us. It was God acting in Jesus to make us righteous by faith. It was God acting through Jesus to begin the new creation. So to reject what God has done in Christ, to reject his gift, is a rejection of God himself. Now this begs the question that I hope you're asking yourself. What had the Galatians added to the gospel? What was this distortion that had brought about such a strong reaction from Paul? Let me begin by stating what it was not. It was not a denial of the death and resurrection of Jesus. 
Were we living back in that time, we would have heard none of these false teachers stating that Jesus had not risen from the dead. Those were issues that happened. Corinthians deals with that very issue. Some were saying the resurrection didn't happen, but that was not the case with the churches in Galatia. The facts of Jesus' death and resurrection were indisputable. But the distortion of this gospel was far more subtle than that. It was far more difficult to realize rather than just the outright rejection of those truths. After all, if we hear someone stating Jesus did not rise from the dead or Jesus was not crucified, we know automatically not to believe that. No, distortions of the gospel are far more diabolical and far more subtle. The issue that the church in Galatians was preaching that brought about the alteration of the gospel was this, this question. How can a person know that they are truly a part of God's people? Now that was the foundational issue. How can a person know you've been saved? How can you know you are a part of God's people? Now, Paul and the other apostles were preaching that a person becomes a part of the people of God, a part of the redeemed, a a part of the saints, by faith alone in Christ alone. That's how you are part of God's people. But now, there were teachers coming to Galatia that were saying, if you are a part of God's people, then you will also keep the Torah. You will also follow the dietary laws. You will also be circumcised because those are the markers of those who have placed faith in Christ. It's been that way from the beginning, and it's that way now. Now, Paul had been preaching those things no longer applied because Jesus had fulfilled them. They were no longer necessary. Now that Jesus had died and risen from the dead, it was the Spirit of God that marked one out as being a part of the family of God. Now, the reasons the opponents were doing this are the same reasons that the gospel is distorted today. For example, tradition often leads people to distort the gospel. It leads people to begin thinking, well, we've always believed this, and so now the gospel comes along, and instead of saying, this is what we believe, how does it measure up with the gospel? We simply twist the gospel to fit what we believe. You don't have to look far in American history, certainly here in the South, to see this. It's hard to believe it's not quite been 60 years since people of color We're not allowed the same use of the facilities as people who are not colored. Sixty years is not a long time. And you recognize that in the South, such segregation was often justified by the Scripture. People who would say, this is taught in the Bible, and you say, but the gospel doesn't say that. That's the distortion. This is what we've grown up believing Rather than change based upon what the Bible teaches, we'll simply adapt based upon our tradition because it's, it's hard to change what you've always believed. Another reason that the gospel is distorted was also fear. Fear of not being saved. 
This goes hand in hand with tradition. If you've grown up believing the people of God are always marked by following the Torah, by dietary laws, by circumcision, then you become fearful that if you don't do those things, you're not really a believer. There is also fear in the time of Paul, and as we'll see shortly today, of cultural ramifications. Now, during the time that Paul was preaching, Rome was the world power. And everywhere that Rome established its authority, Roman gods were worshipped. And among those gods was Caesar himself. So part of proving your fealty to Rome was to worship Caesar. However, to keep the peace in the Israel area, Rome allowed the Jews freedom not to worship the pagan gods. It was a way of accommodation to keep things calm because they recognized that Palestine was a hotbed. So wherever Jews were, they were granted clemency not to worship Caesar. Now here comes the problem. This movement born out of Judaism that is claiming Jesus is Lord does not hold to the practice of the law and circumcision and the dietary restrictions, yet are claiming to be the fulfillment of the Jewish faith. So the leaders who are preaching this became fearful that if they begin, if they, Rome that is, begins to associate Christianity with Judaism, guess what? We're going to lose the right to worship and the government will begin to clamp down on us and repress that. So if you followers of Jesus would just cooperate, follow the, the, the laws of the Torah, everybody will be happy. We don't have to fear the government. We don't have to fear the Jews. Everything will be fine. Now, in that brief examination of the context of the letter, it also begs this question. We recognize that these are not the ways the gospel is distorted today. You know, when we baptize people as we will be in the 1045 service, we don't instruct them to follow dietary laws unless it's having Krispy Kreme frequently. And the gospel bird, fried chicken. Of course we don't say those things. But it doesn't mean there are not counterfeit gospels causing confusion today and leading to the rejection of the gospel. Now I want to highlight three. Three, that while they are not the same thing Paul addressed, they fall into the warning that Paul gives. Now, if you want to dive into these things more, I recommend this book by Trevin Wax. Counterfeit Gospels, Rediscovering the Good News in a World of False Hope. Published in 2011 by Moody. There are actually nine false gospels that he deals with in this book. But for the sake of brevity, I want to deal with three that I think are becoming the most dangerous to the gospel today, especially in America. The first would be this, the counterfeit gospel of activism. Now keep in mind that there's a, a nuance to these things. When I say the counterfeit gospel of activism, it doesn't mean that we should not be active. But the danger is this, that the church begins to find its unity and its purpose around political or social projects. That the church begins to see its reason for existence as bringing about political change. And thinking that if that political change comes about, we've done our job. 
Now, as I said, there's nuance to this. The book of 1 Peter says we are to fear God and honor Caesar. Jesus himself said, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. But there's a growing movement that causes me a great deal of concern that seems to teach that if we can get the right laws and the right leaders, then we will indeed be a Christian nation. Church, I must reinforce time and time again that one becomes a Christian by faith in Jesus alone. Not by being a member of a particular party, not by following or being a part of any nation on this earth. In fact, there is only one Christian nation. That's the church. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, Peter wrote that we are a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. He's talking about the church. The danger of political activism is that it becomes substituted for gospel evangelism where we talk more about getting the right laws rather than we do about following Jesus Christ as Lord. Laws are good and necessary, and we need to let our voice be heard. But remember, laws do not lead to salvation. We could have all the right laws in place, and people would still be going to hell. Our task is a gospel task. Not the gospel plus these things. Once again, that is the subtlety of Satan. Yes, be good citizens. Be involved. But recognize we serve a kingdom greater than the United States. We follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Another danger to the gospel today is the counterfeit gospel of the therapeutic. This distortion adds that the goal of the gospel is our own personal happiness and vocational fulfillment. Now, it's not that the gospel doesn't bring joy or fulfillment. But it's the idea that the only purpose of the gospel in the church is to make us feel good about ourselves. In other words, the message that should be proclaimed from the pulpit when the gospel of the therapeutic becomes front and center is this. I'm okay. You're okay. Everybody's okay. Okay? And so it's the idea that the way to give fullness of the Spirit is simply to say and to reinforce that there's really not a problem. Sin's not that big of a deal. And the worst sin of all is feeling bad. It always amazes me when you read in Christian history of how God has granted men with great wisdom and discernment to see problems that will arise in the future. One such man was the theologian H. Richard Niebuhr. Writing in the 1950s, he saw this very danger on the horizon. And in his book, The Kingdom of God, he made this statement of the danger that awaits American Christianity as we begin to shift to the therapeutic. He said, in essence, we'll begin preaching a God without wrath, brought men without sin into a kingdom without judgment through the ministrations of a Christ without a cross. He was saying, that's the danger, and I see that's where we are today. That's the gospel of the therapeutic. And once again, remember, Satan is subtle. Does the gospel bring fulfillment? Yes. But only through the recognition that we need a Savior. There's another danger to the gospel, and that's the counterfeit of gospel, or the counterfeit gospel of moralism. 
In this counterfeit gospel, it's not just faith in Jesus Christ, but it's that we are, need to be good people. And that it's through the exhortation of our power and our will by which we will do good. And by doing good, we earn God's favor and blessing on our earthly endeavors. The church is a place then where we gather together with people who can affirm each other in keeping the standards of our community. In other words, the point of the gospel is to be good and to do good. One of the dangers of this gospel is that there becomes fear. And I think this is what the teachers in Galatia prayed upon. If you do away with the Torah, what's to keep us living in the right way? And Paul's answer, as we see in Galatians chapter 5, is this. The Spirit of God. The Spirit will lead us to live rightly. The Spirit will guide us in how we should live. But in this danger, in this counterfeit gospel, it's that we do good as defined by community standards. And that demonstrates that we are part of the people of God. In fact, it secures our place in being the people of God. Now, these are three examples of the counterfeit gospel that distort the real thing. Which begs the question then, what is the real thing? As the title of this message says, there's nothing like the real gospel. Well, we begin with the facts. The death of Jesus, the burial of Jesus, and the resurrection of Jesus. That's good news. In fact, you'll see throughout the New Testament, it's the good news of peace, the gospel, the good news of salvation, the good news of God's reign. Keep in mind that throughout Paul's preaching, he always said that Jesus was crucified, buried, and resurrected according to the Scripture. So how did that fulfill the Scripture? And we think often of, of passages like Isaiah 53, which is not incorrect at all. But if we're thinking in terms of how does the message of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus fulfill the gospel, it's this, starting, if we will, in Isaiah 52, 7. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness. Get the feeling of good news? Good news is gospel. Who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. So the gospel begins with the statement, your God reigns. How did Jesus begin preaching in Mark chapter 1? The kingdom of God is at hand. The reign of God is at hand. Then this begs the question, if God's reign, God's kingdom has come in Christ, how can we be a part of it? And the answer is, through faith, by His grace. Here's a very difficult question for you. What follows chapter 52 in Isaiah? Chapter 53, where the suffering servant is introduced as the one who bears our iniquity, the one who suffers chastisement from God. So as the kingdom of God comes in Christ, how can we be a part of it? We are a part of it by having our sins removed. How are our sins removed? By faith in Jesus Christ through His grace. That's the gospel. Not by works, but by faith. Not by being good enough, but by repenting and receiving His grace. Church, let's hold true to the true message of the gospel and proclaiming that God's kingdom has come in Christ. And all who believe can be a part of it by faith in Jesus because of the grace of God. Let this be our comfort and our hope. Bow with me, if you will. 
Father, I thank you for the good news of the gospel. Because, Lord, if there was any addition to the gospel that we had to perform certain acts, Lord, we would be at a loss. So, Father, I pray that you would help us to be aware of the distortions that Satan will try to introduce to the gospel. Help us, Father, to stand firm upon the truth that we are saved by your grace, your grace alone, in Christ alone. And help us, Father, to share that message of hope with the world around us. For it is in your name that I pray. Amen.